feel like I'm, I'm being attacked. Well, this morning, <clears throat> we'll be looking at the existence of God. And as uh, one fellow asked the question, does God exist? And the theologian's response was, duh. <laughs> yes, God does exist. And there's ample evidence for it. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to go pop through our notes here. The doctrine of God, otherwise known as theology proper, which also includes, by the way, God the Father in this, uh, relies on Scripture as the primary source of evidence for the existence and information regarding the nature and character of God. All other evidence is subordinate to the biblical assessment of the person and character of God. So, now... God has, in fact, revealed himself non-verbally to all people through nature, conscience, and history. This is referred to as general or natural revelation, which the Bible does affirm. We, we saw that in our study of bibliology. Uh, one revelation comes in two forms, general and special. Okay, The general revelation is, for example, let's look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19 <clears throat> verses 1 through 6. Psalm 19, 1 through 6 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their, ex and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has, a, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is a, a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So, like the, sol, the sun moves around and the solar system, and all these things in and of themselves point to God. And... <clears throat> We won't go there this morning, but in Romans 1, 18 through 25, especially where God says mankind is in fact responsible because of that general revelation for rejecting God. Okay? The inference being if a man truly if, seeks after God, he will find God. Now that gets into another study we'll be going to sooner or later about uh, study of salvation itself. Okay? But that is there. Now, mankind has a general awareness of God. A, a good example of that is the example of Nineveh. Let's look at Jonah. We're not going to look at the whole book, but in the story of Jonah, you got Hosea, Jonas, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Can we hit Mike and name Habakkuk back up? <laughs> Jonah chapter 3. <clears throat> now we know the story of Jonah, uh, which is interesting. If, uh, but the one thing we want to look at is in is chapter 3, actually, which is only 10 verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, remember the first time? The word of the Lord came to Jonah says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he got on a boat and went the other direction. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and then uh, the great fish caught him. And the next thing, you know, onto the beach he went, right? So 
Now here he is the second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the, the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. To walk around through and around Nineveh would take three days walking. Now Nineveh, I don't know if you remember, was the capital of Assyria. It was the capital city of Assyria, to put it in context. So then Jonah began to go through the city one day to walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from, his, <clears throat> from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on ashes. And he issued a, a, a proclamation, and, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Now that, now that is a fast. I mean, don't even let the animals have anything. I mean, you're talking about the whole country, was uh, whole nation was on a fast. Um, it says, both, verse 8, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, let men call God let men call on God earnestly that each man turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So, now there's a whole lot that's here. Matter of fact, a whole lot that deals with the various aspects of the theology of God. Okay? Um, <clears throat> well, I, I see grace in there. I see mercy in there. Okay? Um, I even, if you want to go, I see divine election there. I see all kinds of doctrines in there that we see throughout all of Scripture in this passage. But the one I want to look at is the fact that they had enough of a knowledge of God intuitively. And this is an extremely pagan nation. I mean, we can't, this is an unbelievably pagan nation. All right? Uh, but they had a concept of God, which takes us to another division of theology. Anthropology, the doctrine of man, and the doctrine of creation. Man was, we were created in the image and likeness of God. Even... Pick your worst. Everybody seems to like Hitler as the poster boy for the worst human that ever lived. Although I can think of some worse, believe it or not. But but you just you you pick your favorite poster boy or perhaps girl. We don't want to be you know uh, equal equal bearing here. Uh, and I'll tell you um, <clears throat> that could be any one of us. Okay, that could be any one of us. But these guys were rotten. They were just mean, evil, rotten group of people. But yet. Jonah came walking through there, and not the most convicted prophet that ever went out, okay? Because uh, you, you, you read on, after you read on past verse, chapter 3, 4 and 5, where he's crabbing and complaining that God saved him. He was mad that they didn't fall under judgment. I mean, definitely, that you know, that's not the evangelical attitude we're looking for, right? <laughs> we were hoping for a little something better than that. We, we should rejoice when sinners repent. He was mad because they didn't get blasted. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, yeah, just like I say, that's just the wrong way to look at uh, evangelism in any era of history, right? In any era of history. 
But the point is that they even even Nineveh, as rotten as they were, had a gaunt consciousness. I mean, because all the Ninevites, the Assyrians, were created in the image and likeness of God, just like Hitler was, or Stalin, or Mao, or any of your favorites. They were all created in the image and likeness of God. So they all, to some degree, have a God conscience. Now, some of their consciences have been seared with the hot iron, as Paul said to Timothy, right? Many have gone that way. Where they, and then we know Romans, many have gone points where they've been um, given over, given up to their reprobate minds. I mean, some have gone over the edge, but yet, nevertheless, every human being that has ever lived or will live has that God consciousness. Now, another, another aspect of that, Acts 17. Acts 17. <clears throat> another group of people. Here we have Paul at Athens in Acts 17, verse 16 to 34. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in, at Athens, his spirit, small s, was being provoked within him as he was, belo- as he was beholding the city full of idols. There is a God con- Idols. That is a God consciousness. It is totally misguided, but that is a consciousness of a God. Okay? Small g. That is within mankind. But there's a great example here. I'm jumping ahead, but that's okay. Um, of where, apart from the truth... This is where a God conscience can take you <laughs> in a totally wrong direction. Okay, so we'll come back to that thought. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews. Okay, and remember we know that that was, that was Paul's pattern. When he'd hit a new town, the first place he'd go was to the synagogue. Why? As the, as the, treat, as the uh, statement goes in our day and age, he had street cred there, right? He was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He could walk in. He could speak. And he spoke as long as they put up with him till they threw him out. I mean, and that was his pattern. That was his pattern. Tremendous guy, Paul. Anyway, so, and then he was talking to the God-fearing Gentiles in the marketplace every day with, <clears throat> uh, with those who happened to be present. Now, so we've got the Jews and we've got the God-fearing Gentiles. Now we go to another group. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. And some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Hostile audience, perhaps? <laughs> okay. But remember, these were the Stoics. These were the, the grand philosophers. So they had themselves already up on a high platform. Well, let's see what this yo-yo's got for us. Okay. They were looking down on him already before he even said anything. Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of a strange deities. Notice the plurality, strange deities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Well, that flummoxed them. They couldn't buy that. They weren't buying that. In verse 19, and they took him and brought him up to the Aragopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange thing to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the, and the, stranger, and the strangers <clears throat> visiting there used to spend the t- their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Always looking for something new. That reminds you of a verse here. Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that interesting? But, but that's, where, that's where those are. Just like, let's just talk religion. And those, those people I'd love. I met a guy years ago at the gas company. 
just love to talk religion. So I talk religion with them. Talk religion with them. And talk and talk and talk and talk. But to no avail. But he loved to talk about religion. <laughs> All religions, any religion. Right? But anyway that these guys, these guys all had, they were talking about their gods, the idols, the temple idols, and then the discussion's going to go on, on it too. And the point, the point, the big point is to be made in a few minutes. But the fact is, the Stoics in Athens, up on Mars Hill, had a consciousness, they had a God consciousness. They knew, they believed in a God or gods. Okay, that's, that's the point. And every human being does, to, even the atheist, if you, you break them all down, the atheist. Now, his God is himself. Sometimes it's nature. But anyway, let's keep moving. Yes, that's verse 23. <laughs> and so now Paul is going to speak. Verse 22. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you're very religious. See? <laughs> In all respects, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, since they were even worshiping things, the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So here's, what you, here's the point that's going to be made is that you can theorize and philosophize till the cows come home, and sooner or later, and I would hope sooner, you got to get into the truth of Scripture, God's revealed truth. And that's where, and you know, that's where Paul jumps right in. He's not philosophizing with them, he's speaking biblical truth. Let's keep moving. He says, verse 25, Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. There's an attribute of God right there. Aseity, self-assistance, self... He needs nothing. He needs no help. He's totally independent. Okay? He has made from one, from one every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth. Made from one who's one? Adam and Eve. Right? Adam. He made from one. And appointed their boundaries of their uh, habitation, and that they should seek that they should seek God. Now here's now here's where it's going. That they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for Him and find Him through, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist, as as even some of your own poets have said. For we also are His offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. That's definitely not in paganism. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through, through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. <clears throat> so then when they heard this then they heard the thing about the resurrection <clears throat> basically they said uh, well I'll just read it now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some began to sneer but others said well we shall hear from him concerning this well here again so Paul went out of their midst but some men joined him and believed among whom were 
Dionysius and, Irigapia, and the Irigapiite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So, right there is the classic. There's a great example of a of approach to a pagan society. And you know, or, or if you're witnessing to anybody, what what did Paul do here? Paul met them where they were, and his goal was to then move them to where they needed to be. And that's the truth of Scripture. He ne- you notice what Paul never does? Jesus never did. None of them ever did. When they witnessing, they never spoke and then backtracked and tried to move around and, and finesse them. No, they just kept moving straight forward. This is the truth. You can be nice about it. You know, you don't say... No. Listen to the truth, you dummy. No, you don't have to say that. You say, here's the truth, and just keep sharing it, and sharing it, and sharing it, and sharing it. And if it sinks in, praise God. If it doesn't, okay, it doesn't. You've done, we've done our job. We've done our job. And now, I want to look, move from there to the, uh, this answered a lot of what we're going, which is, which is helpful because we don't have that much time today. The natural arguments for proof of God, these have been used throughout history. Some of these have been around for centuries. The cosmological argument that can, and what that is, and this is a very brief, just, I'm just letting you know they're out there. I'm not necessarily even recommending them much other than perhaps a starting point somewhere where someone's discussing things and you might be able to use this and move forward. But anyway, the cosmological argument considers the fact that every known thing in the universe has a cause. That's the theory behind this one. Therefore, the universe itself must have a cause which can only be God. Now, the next one, the teleological argument, is actually like almost like a subsection of, of, of the uh, cosmological. The teleological argument points to the harmony, order, and design of the universe, concluding there must be an intelligent designer. Now, that is one that's been used a lot in uh, our day and age. Um, <clears throat> the intelligent design for you know, how did Earth, mankind, how universe, how did this, where did it all start? Where did it come from? And it's funny, even using the a generic term like intelligent designer, the the hardcore heathens argue that no, we can't accept that because you're trying to lead us to God. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well. And then you got the ontological argument. Begins with the idea of God who is defined as being greater than can be imagined by man. Therefore, God must exist. I guarantee you that's not one I would run to first. <laughs> but it's out there, and it's and it's 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 funny. It's all, it's in all the theology books too. Some people go to they write great pages on it. Me, this sentence is enough. It just it not again. And then you've got the moral argument stems from man's sense of right and wrong and the need for justice to be done, this argument says there must be a God who will one day mete out justice to all people. Well, again, the responses, I think, is where the real lesson is today. The responses to these natural arguments or proofs is the, well, again, the fatal flaw of all these so-called proofs is that they're based on man's reason and will not necessarily lead a person to the one true God by themselves. Natural arguments alone build a theology of God by defining God through human thinking and logic. 
So you got to be, if you just, apart from Scripture, that's where you're going to go. You could be a polytheist. You could be a, a, you know, or you could worship another idol on Mars Hill. You could put another name for the unknown God. I mean, you could go all over the place if that's all you, if human reasoning was where it all stops and starts. Again, what is man? Sinner. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Again, again, and that is a, and the moral argument, uh, I believe it's a better argument than the ontological argument. You know, <laughs> but, but, yeah, because again, but that's built into you know being created in, in the image and likeness of God. That's is going to be in there, and depending on how far down the depravity scale mankind has sunk individually, is how much is that is now being just kind of like blocked out of one's thinking. Okay, and um, all I heard was a fan. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the moral argument in this these are these are theolo- these th- these arguments go back centuries. I mean, this isn't this is these are nothing new. These go back centuries. Um, like the ontological argument, I think I think it was a guy named Anselm back in the tenth century or something came up with that one. But uh, again, uh, yeah. Right now, the moral moral arguments for anything is is pretty sad. I mean, right now, on some circles, if you are opposed to same-sex marriage, you're the immoral one. You're the evil one. If you say, you know, abortion's wrong, you really shouldn't kill unborn babies. How dare you say that? How dare you tell me what to do? You're bad. You're evil for saying that. I mean, that's how twisted morality is now. So the, so the moral argument for almost anything is like, okay, it depends on who's giving it <laughs> and, and what they're basing it on. You know, but above all these four natural arguments for the existence of God, um, <clears throat> none of these arguments necessitate only one true God. Again, you can have this argument and be a polytheist, have multiple gods. Uh, a good example in our day and age, Mormons. Mormons is, is the most polytheistic religion I can think of out there. Everybody's a god. You can all be gods. You can all have your own little world one day. I mean, so I mean, it's just like insane. Um, <clears throat> you know, and just I'm just going to slow down here a little bit, just move through all these. But the but the whole thing is like of the all these arguments and even uh, general. Um, Revelation, the sun, the moon, the stars, the solar system being in exact harmony with the other. Can you look to those natural things, the natural beauty? And you can, yes, you can see that there is a God, but by looking up at the stars, can you, can, do you see anything that says you must believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to be saved? No, you, that takes special revelation. And that's where we have to get people that's where we have to move people to i mean just the, the fact <clears throat> well i put it as our closing verse i'll read it james two nineteen. you believe that there is god is one you do well well the demons also believe and shudder okay so just believing that god exists it's good but it's not enough it's not enough you know again ultimately with all these human arguments we are left with more questions than answers, I believe. Like, okay, who is God? What is he like? 
do we have any responsibilities due to him? Uh, what, if anything, does he want from us? See, you're not going to read that in the stars. You, you, people might think they do, <laughs> and, they, and they make up. See, that's where they make up religions, because they think there is a God, and well, they, let's, let's let Scripture speak. Scripture says the Bible begins and ends speaking of God. I mean, right there, Genesis 1-1, we all, that's, see, if you're into memorizing Bible verse, Bible passages, here's one we all know, <laughs> right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. You know, I love how it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. There's no assuming, there's, there, I mean, there's no dilly-dallying around. It's a statement of, Bible presents it as a statement of fact. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Any questions? I mean, that's it, point blank. Point blank. And at the end, of course, in Revelation, again, talks about God. Now, and we'll read through as many of these as we can get to because they're, they're great. Psalm 14. And there's so many passages I could have picked, but these aren't necessarily even the strongest. But Psalm 14.1. And I, I meant it, I said the Bible, I almost. Uh, made that insists there is only one God. almost put that in bold because the scripture does insist there is only one God. And uh, by the way, and then then the scriptures unfold to us who that one true God is. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. There goes the statement on the tombstone for the atheist. Right. And, and yeah, because Romans keeps talking and says, and they're held accountable because the evidence is there. And they are held accountable for not seeking him. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why, you know, a, so, and, and that's why, in, locally speaking, we're the missionaries. Okay, um, and here in the uh, again Deuteronomy six four through we uh, <clears throat> started verse four four through fifteen actually it was, it's called the Shema where where it says Hear O Israel the Lord our God is the the Lord the Lord our God the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am com commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, a, as frontals, frontals on your foreheads. Then you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." And then it shall come about that the Lord your God brings you into the land which I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you the, the great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Then watch yourself, lest you forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods 
any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. That's plain, isn't it? <laughs> That's plain. Uh, I'll tell you, and that was a Shema, and they had those little, I, I years ago, back in my youth, <laughs> there was a time, that uh, worked in a f- fish market. If you're familiar with the Fairfax district in Los Angeles, you might know it's a Jewish neighborhood. And so I, I delivered fish to the houses. Back then, I I was a high school kid. I didn't, I didn't know what's going on. So, But I saw those little things on the doorposts, that little little deals there. looked like little scrolls. And some times had little papers in them, too. And um, I never messed with them. But anyway... Um, <clears throat> That came from this. Those are reminded them about uh, don't forget God. Don't forget God. Those were reminded don't forget God. And then they missed everything, yeah. So they're still trying to, re- there's, yeah, anyway. So now it's unfortunately by missing Christ, it's a futile exercise, but the fact that they are still out there. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel. And his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and there is no God besides me. And who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I long since announced it to you and declared it? Are you, <clears throat> are you and you are my witnesses, is there any God beside me, or is there any other rock? I know of none. And then we'll probably close with a, a little satire from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, a little satire, probably lift him up a little bit. You know, a little, little levity. He, he, uh, say, you mean God used satire? Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of ways that God spoke throughout the scripture. Satire is actually one of it's not all over the place, but here's one of those instances. And it's about idolatry. He says, uh, hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Because again, now see, they, they've started worshiping idols. And so they, they bought into that. That's one of the reasons they went this way, they went into captivity, okay? And Jeremiah was the prophet that had the misfortune of having to see that happen. Thus says the Lord, do not lean on the way of the nations. Do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are delusion, because, here it comes, because it is wood cut from the forest, the wood of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they, it's speaking of the idols, and they cannot speak. They must be carried. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm. They can. They can. <clears throat> nor can they do any good. Uh, I would say that means they're useless. <laughs> okay, did I get that one right? Verse six: There is none. Li- there is none like thee, O Lord. You are great, and and great is your name and might. Who would not fear the king of the nations? Indeed, is, is the due for among the wise men of the nations and their kingdoms is like none of the. And it goes on to say, um, verse eight: 
but they are, you know, the people that buy into the idols, but they are altogether stupid and foolish in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. <laughs> their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. I mean, things are brought in to make these things, you know. They had nothing to do with themselves. The work of a craftsman, the hands of a goldsmith, uh, violet and purple are their clothing. They are, they are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is true God. The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. That's exactly where Paul was going with the Epicureans. It's the same way, same way Paul was going. And again, talking about the idols, verse 11, Thus you shall say to them, that's the idols, the gods that did not make the, that did not make the heavens and the earth. Again, making a, making a great point at the same time, doing the smackdown on the idols. Shall perish from the earth from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by the understanding he has stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings out the wind from his doorstop, from his storehouses. Oh, God controls the weather, not man. Interesting. Okay, but I'm, I digress. Verse 14, every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful. And there is no breath in them, and they are worth they are a they're worthless, a work of mockery in the time of their punishment, they will perish. The the portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker of, of all is he, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Again, the thing that must happen is the true God, to whoever we're speaking, must be identified. All these things, these arguments, they're out there. Some people still use them. Um, you might use them if you do fine, but recognize the fact whatever lead-in you're doing to, it's got to go to the gospel, it's got to go to the scriptures, or we're just blowing wind, really. <laughs> that wouldn't be my first choice, but go, you know. <laughs> Yeah, if if they came out and said, "Here is an alien, and we can prove it," I'd say, "Well, who are you? Number one, who's talking? Remember now, remember the yeah, yeah, because see, according to them, they prove evolution. Uh, Sorry, don't buy your proof. They prove global warming caused by men. Sorry, I don't buy your proof. I mean, there's a lot of things they say are proof that I just don't buy. I mean, they can, they can, you know, yeah." One of the reasons I wouldn't make a statement like that is because of, of who might hear that statement. And then they might be deceived by the fake proof. Christians are deceived by a lot of fake stuff that you hear in the news. I hate to say that, but it's true. Yeah. It's true. And I don't want to go anywhere else other than making that statement. So we, as believers, everything through this filter, <laughs> and we'll be okay. Yeah, and, and also at the same time, remember, there's another force out there, Satan and his demons. A lot of things, when the time comes, when we were going through Revelation, the demonic activity in Revelation was pretty, they were active. They were active. So deception comes in all forms. So just be very, very careful. I mean, I'm just question everything. Question everything. Let's, 
Of course, of course. It'd be false Christ, false yeah. prophets, false everything, false statements. <laughs> that's why just pray here, and that's something to pray for, that hopefully that we will remain true to his word here at this church. Let's close. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that the truth is taught in this place. And Lord, may that always be the case. And again, Lord, we give you honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.